I'm Jill, and welcome to the It's Going to Be Good podcast, where Anna and I talk about how to build your accounting firm in a way that's healthy and sustainable so you can focus on doing meaningful work with exceptional people. Today, we'll be talking about building a collaborative team. For leadership, the team is the hero of our story at Accrue. Um, and in our episode about year end, we talked a little bit about getting your team involved in planning. But the question remains, how do you build a team that contributes, not just is a team of task rabbits? Um, and I think this is a question for a lot of people in the industry. So Anna, do you want to share with us a little bit about how Accrue started building a team and then kind of a little bit about the growth path to where we are today? I would love to. Uh, so when we first started, it was, again, Anna Ready Bookkeeping. Uh, and there was Anna Ready as the single only team member. So tits solo team of one. Uh, so then when you get that inflection point of there's a, there's more work than I think I could do, and I'm going to need some help. Um, I don't think it's that uncommon to go the path that I did, which is just sort of asking around, Hey, anybody know anybody that like does bookkeeping and such? Um, and so I <laughs> managed to have some people take pity on me and, and ended up getting some personal referrals <laughs> of people that, that could do that. Um, and, and it is a good fit to be able to work remotely and work from home. And so there's definitely like a, a value to team members, but the vetting process was something like a teenage boy asking a girl out. It's like, you want to maybe, <laughs> huh? You think, uh, <laughs> That's a really good interview question. <laughs> yeah. What What do you, thumbs up? Yeah. Finger guns backing away. So, you know, it, it was not necessarily done with the kind of intention that we would do that today. Uh, but we managed to find some some people who could do the work and, and um, started bringing some people along. But it really was a lot of people who do their individual roles and then me. And kind of, I was sort of the the middle of the wheel and everyone was their individual spokes, but they didn't really work together. They just each did their own things and asked me when they needed help. And that got very overwhelming as we continued to grow because there wasn't really that cohesion. There wasn't collaboration outside. I don't know that the team members really even had much relationships with one another. It was really just them and me and so that wasn't really an effective strategy, shockingly. Um, <laughs> and that is definitely one of the things that for the last three years that we've been really shifting away from and really shifting towards building a team that works together, even teams inside of the team, um, because I saw very quickly that A, if everyone just interacts with you, then you get all the questions. Mm -hmm. And usually you're responsible for solving all the problems, um, which then means your whole job is just solving problems all the time, uh, which, you know, maybe some people find that fun. Uh, it got to a point where it was less fun for me. So <laughs> I realized, you know, we need to create a little bit different structure here where it's not just everyone is doing their own thing and then and then I'm the glue it really is 
building a, a team of people that can work together, that can help one another to solve problems, and that can contribute to solving bigger problems than just immediately what is right in front of them. And I know my tendency was just to be like, hey, just thanks for helping. You know, just anything mm-hmm. you can contribute, it means I don't have to do it. So everything is great. Thanks so much. Uh, also not that effective, turns out. <laughs> turns um, out. <laughs> n- not a great strategy there. So it was, I think really, Jill, you coming in was that pivotal moment. This is going to be a, a theme <laughs> Yeah. Jill coming in. <laughs> that it sounds like I changed shift. everything. Um, basically, no, not at all. But but the this is like the spoke problem was a huge problem when we started working together, and it was obvious not just to you but also to the team. I think it. You know, when I came in, I I did like a quick survey with the team and asked some questions about their experience working there, good stuff, bad stuff. Like I just kind of wanted to gather data, and and I remember receiving quite a lot of feedback about it feeling very disjointed, about it not feeling like we are all on the same page. And so like, it's really hard to do that. And it's, it's even harder to realize that that's the case and then make the shift to change it. Um, it's much harder to do that with a fully remote team with flexible schedules. And so how do you shift culture when the team doesn't really work together? And how do you make it so that they do? So that they're interdependent and not just independent because interdependent is so much more optimal because you have more people taking a look at the books before they get sent to clients. You have, you know, a a process around multiple different parts. And so there's a lot lower risk when you've got a team working on something as opposed to a person working on something. So like, how did you take the team from those spokes coming to you and and stop that bottleneck because that's an inevitable bottleneck either when you realize it's happening or like very shortly after that bottleneck happened so like how did how did you circumvent that well i think that's definitely been a process across time and something we for sure will talk about in future episodes is about building different tiers of leadership in the company beyond just you uh, and I think that started with you, Jill, with with mm-hmm. having someone else come in who had the authority to make decisions. Now we immediately have two people that are in the middle instead of just one. We have gone much further than just those two people in the middle, which is great. <laughs> Thank so, goodness. <laughs> uh, that would have still been unsustainable um, as a model, but that was the start of things. Okay. So it's not just me that has to make every decision. That's also a mindset that you will have to wrestle with because mostly that sort of middle and spokes coming out is because you want to be the primary decision maker. Uh, And so there are some mindset things that you'll have to wrestle with about whether everything does need to get run by you, whether you do have to touch everything. Mm -hmm. Um, And so really the primary piece is about building trust with people on your team. Okay, who on your team is competent that you can trust to own certain things, not just to do the tasks on their plates, but to actually start to take some more leadership, to take some more ownership, to give them some room and freedom to be able 
to try something, to be able to fail at it, to not throw them under the bus for failing at it, um, yeah. to, to use those things as learning opportunities. And so really, Jill, you became the guinea pig of it uh, because you came <laughs> in and I went, hey, everyone, Jill's your boss now. Uh, <laughs> chief of staff. <laughs> chief of staff. Uh, go talk to her with all your problems. Uh, so that's how I did it. That was the end. That's the end of the story. Uh, Jill. Wow. This was a great podcast. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> Um, but <laughs> part of that coming in and I, and I loved the way that you approached it with the team is just learning about their own personal experience. You didn't come in new sheriff in town, guns blazing. You went, Hey, I want to get to know everyone. I want to understand your experience here. I'm here to try to make things better. I'm here to try to make your job better. So I want to understand what's challenging for you. I want to understand what about this doesn't work. And I think that's the first step of this is if Identify the way problems. we have things structured isn't functioning, where are the challenges there, which then also uncovers where the opportunities there are. So this yeah. is going to tie right into that. You're going to have to slow down to go fast, being mm. able to take some time and really ask some good questions. It's not going to get a task done. It's not going to get reports out to a client. It's not going to feel efficient. It's not going to feel like work, but it is the kind of work that will allow you to go so much farther that will actually build the trust that is critical to do some of these next things that allowed us to grow and grow our team and grow our leadership. Yeah, I, I I can speak a little bit to um to that season too because I think that we were pretty strategic in planning for that culture shift that we had you know we saw coming down the road that that would be a slow roll because it was going to be a hard adjustment that's a that's a hard left for an entire team to make all of a sudden you have a new boss and there's a new sheriff in town and you know like all of a sudden there's all this change happening when before you were kind of operating solo under the guidance and and direction of of one person and so it's a huge shift to make and so i think one of the biggest areas that we that you in particular but that we were able to do this through is is by shifting our perspective from enabling the team to empowering the team and so instead of introducing team members to clients as someone who's helping you which is not a great way to build trust with that client that that person has their books handled we introduce people as this is your dedicated account manager and they run the onboarding call. They they lead that client through setting up account access and doing all the steps in the process, which sets them up as that approachable expert because they're the ones having that conversation with the client. Similarly, I think, you know, when when stuff went wrong, when there were problems, when someone ran into roadblocks, being that center of that wheel means that you're the one who solves the problems, which feels very much like swooping in to save the day on a regular basis, which again, sounds fun when you have to do it once. It's not that fun when you have to do it for, you know, five people across a hundred clients. So, you know, it's just a totally different mentality of of equipping our team and empowering our team to solve their own problems. And that is so much more work than it sounds like, because it just sounds like you go, I'm not going to do it, you do it. But learning how to solve your own problems, especially if you're in the habit of someone else solving them, is a tough skill to build. It is really hard to build, but it's possible. It's really possible. 
so yeah, I, I think I think those two shifts were were huge in that intro intro season. But also when we ask for input, I, I think we started asking for input as in we'll take it and do whatever with it. Like we'll we'll make a determination. But there were a few things that we learned pretty early on when we were receiving input from the team that I think was helpful for us. One, you have to reinforce it when it's given. I think that's really huge. Two, just because it's given doesn't mean it has to be taken. <laughs> so we, we listen to everyone. Um, we want their engagement. We want their uh, input on stuff. But when we listen, we listen with an intention to understand, and then we evaluate. Um, so I, I think those are some pretty key shifts that that came about in that season that were really helpful for us in that. Um, and and what the question of like, what would it look like to bring other voices into this room and just imagining what that would look like, what that would feel like. You mentioned it earlier, the idea that you'll have to change the way that you operate. If you like making the decisions, you're going to have to get comfortable with not being the only decision maker. And that's, that's a big mentality shift for an owner operator too. That's right. But the thing is you might like being in charge of all the decisions, but when all the decisions become at a volume that becomes a burden, you have to decide whether, I, I love this question, do you wanna be rich or do you wanna be king or do you wanna be queen? You know, Do you want to be in charge of everything or do you want to build something that can grow beyond you being in charge of everything? Um, and I wanted that one because I don't actually, <laughs> turns out like, and making every single decision solo because uh, I don't always make the right decision. My gut is great a lot of the time and mm -hmm. it's not infallible. And when there are more voices in the room and more voices in the room at the right points, um, then we get to a much better decision than if I just you know, shot from the hip solo. I think that kind of decision-making will take you to a point and then you will get past that point only when you start to bring in other perspectives. Like, so the, this, this idea of, you know, asking for input, first of all, ask for input. <laughs> that's, that's maybe just the very first step in this whole process. That's the very first thing that you did. I think that was exactly right. You're asking for people to contribute. You're inviting them to collaborate. And then what you do with that input really determines whether someone will continue to give the input. And so one of the things I see a lot of times is that people will say, oh, thank you for that input. And whenever a team member says that to me when I'm giving feedback, I immediately think you're not going to do anything with this. When all someone says is, thank you for your input, I'm like, you are doing nothing with this. I already know. I can already tell. So you cannot Cer search stop and replace there. with I'm not looking for your input. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's right. So when that input is given, rather than just saying thank you, especially if you think it's not helpful, it's not good input, we engage with the input. We ask more questions. We we show up and and not always I'm not perfect at this. I would love to be better at it. I want to be showing up with curiosity to engage in the idea because 
it A means we're taking it seriously. I'm not just placating you to say thank you for contributing. Um, I'm actually seriously considering your contribution here. And I'm challenging the idea with you so that you get to experience what we do when we really evaluate ideas. And that also helps that person be able to determine whether they like to be in the room really early on in that kind of brainstorming, throwing all the stuff at the wall phase, seeing what sticks, or whether they'd kind of like other people to do that. And they'd really like to come in at the point where it's kind of fleshed out and you just want a bit of tweaks, you know, some refinement, like a little bit of edits, but like, but please don't give me a blank whiteboard. Um, and so <laughs> a lot of that is also being able to engage with your team just on a personal level, just getting to know the humans that you work with. What do mm -hmm. they enjoy doing? Like what are their particular gifts beyond just doing the literal tasks that are assigned to them in their current job? What do they enjoy? Where do they want to contribute? That's a great question. Outside of the tasks that are specifically assigned to you, are there any other areas where you see room for improvement that you would want to own, that you would want to participate in? Now, that does not mean that you are offering that opportunity. So yes. that is also something <laughs> we learned by doing it really badly several times, mm -hmm. more times mm -hmm. than I would like to count. Um, yes. <laughs> that just because someone has an interest does not mean that they have the skill set. So yeah. We, we do offer opportunities intentionally when someone has demonstrated not just interest, but also competence. So like that, that is a balanced way. Now, some competence can be learned by doing. So that's also a balance too. So mm -hmm. we learn to start really small with opportunities, offer something that is pretty low stakes, offer something that has, you know, a beginning and end that is not a year long project offer someone a shot, see what they do when they, you know, if they establish that they should have that kind of responsibility, offer some more. We offer that in a lot of ways. That's really kind of how we work with a lot of our team about all kinds of stuff. But, you know, we, we do want people contributing in areas that are interesting to them because they will bring enthusiasm to that in a way that if you just assign this and say, do this other extra thing, it feels like more. If you get invited into an opportunity for something you're interested in, now you're pumped. You're like, yeah, I get to show them what I got. Like, so that is definitely some of the things we've learned in some of this process. I'll add to that. The idea of offering an opportunity is something that we've talked a lot about over the last couple of years, because I think there's a difference between, you know, telling someone that they're going to do something and offering the opportunity. But I want to distinguish between offering the opportunity with an expectation that they should be grateful for just being given the opportunity versus no being an actual option. Because yes. you don't really respect people who don't say no to you because you don't, you are always wondering if the yes means yes. And when people can fluctuate between yeses and nos, then you trust a little bit more that they're genuine with their response. And I think the ability and willingness to say no builds a ton of trust with the team. And at a crew, like we say, no is always an option. You know, every choice has a trade-off. So there, you know, there might be consequences to saying no to an opportunity, but like it is still an opportunity and no is 
always an option. So it's, I think it's important to differentiate between people who have the interest and people who have the skills and people who have the desire to engage, letting that opportunity just be an opportunity and having all options be options. It can be a yes and it cannot work out. It can be a yes and it can work out great. It can be a no and that could be great for the team. It could be a no and that could be a huge problem. But all options are options and that's super trust building when you're looking for input because if the answer if the only acceptable answer is yes to an opportunity, you're going to be terrified to be offered an opportunity. Right. Yes. Yeah. That and or if you know that you're letting them down. Yeah. If you say no, it might not even necessarily be about, you know, some some future consequence like oh, I might not be offered an opportunity in the future. It could also just be that, you know, if you're doing it right, ideally you have a team of people that actually care. <laughs> they mm-hmm. actually care about each other and you and maybe what you think of them. And so the idea that if they say no, they're disappointing you, like that might be worse than you being mad at them. Like, no, mm-hmm. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Like, <laughs> that's, that's the worst, you know, it's so reinforcing when team members say no And also modeling the ability to say no. I think that's on both sides. So when someone brings an idea, we don't necessarily just take it, but we don't just dismiss it. We're Mm -hmm. going to evaluate that idea and then we are taking it seriously. And you get to contribute there because maybe we, you know, poke at it a bit and we see that some of it could work, but some of it doesn't. And then you get to contribute some more and say, well, what if we try it this way? And then we end up at the end with an idea that isn't that clearly any one person's. Mm -hmm. And I think this is so like when you are effectively working together as a team, the end result should not be that obvious whose thing it was, whose idea Mm -hmm. it was, because we're aiming at the best idea, which means we want different perspectives. We want different elevations of the company to be looking at things. We want someone to look at it from a super high level. How does this scale if we're 10 times as big as we are? We want it to be at a super day-to-day level. What will this mean for me tomorrow if we do this thing? What will it mean for the clients that I currently work on if we make this shift? Like, So we want all of those different perspectives when we're making you know, maybe not literally every single day-to-day decision, like not every decision needs contribution from every single member of the team. So I want to be super clear, like what you're going to have for lunch tomorrow does not need to be a committee decision (laughs) that is going to be made, you know, but when you're talking about big stuff, that that's where we want to bring more voices in. Yeah. I think similarly, when it comes down to really sensitive decisions, you also don't want everyone in the room. You know, like if you're making policy decisions about, you know, what kinds of benefits you're going to offer, like you need some pretty strategic people in that room. You need to make sure that it's the right people. And it's not just an open invitation to make a decision about, you know, really sensitive stuff or, you know, pay scales or like hiring or termination decisions. Like every voice should not be in every room. So being really, intentional about how you do that is is super important. Speaking of how you do that, how do we bring team members into this kind of collaborative environment? Well, I think one of the first places we started bringing team members into collaboration beyond just 
them doing their personal, you know, their tasks that are part of their job description is imagining some of the team members that might be able to contribute in other ways. And so several of our team members have dual roles. Um, We have some team members that do things in marketing and they also do bookkeeping. Uh, We have a team member that does sales and does technical work. You know, we have team members that um, are team leads as well. So one of their roles is to do, you know, monthly meetings with the people on their team and and check in and, and support them in their growth and development or make sure new team members get welcomed. And and so that's part of their responsibility. So first up, it's, we really started with where can other team members, where can some of our team members contribute in ways beyond just what is in their initial purview. And so now when we make decisions, we almost, we kind of have an area that we're making decisions. in. so if this is, you know, something in hiring, we're going to grab the HR team and the ops team. You know, if this is something about what services we might want to offer in the coming year, we might grab someone from our technical team and then also sales, you know, and Mm -hmm. also ops because we're going to have to build process on how to do this new thing. We're going to need to know we have team members who can do it. We're going to need to sell it and price it and figure out how to package it. And so a lot of the decisions we make, it's become quite obvious who should be in the room because we've defined people's areas of responsibility beyond just, can you do day-to-day accounting work? Uh, we actually have team members who don't do any accounting work, which is the best. It is um, the best. Because they're focused in other areas that are helping to build the foundation for us to grow. So that might not necessarily be a day one kind of a thing. That yeah. is that is where we are at after many years of intention in building all of this out. Where we started, I think, was in uh, in a project uh, we started working on. I think it was in like 2020. We wanted to move from Trello to find, <laughs> remember that, mm-hmm. uh, to find a new workflow management solution. And normally I, I love tech. It's just, it's fun. It's bright, shiny things. And I'm about that. So, um, normally in the old days, I would have just gone and find a thing. In fact, I literally did find the thing that we ended up using several years before we decided on it. I was like, Hey, everybody look at this thing. Isn't it cool? And it got (laughs) no adoption. This is a great example of why you need to build a collaborative team. Maybe we should have opened with this. I forgot about this. <laughs> uh, it's pretty embarrassing, actually, now that I think about it. Uh, it's, it's very par for the course. I think it's relatable, so it's fine. I got excited about a new thing. Uh, I was like, hey, everybody, let's all do this thing. And everyone was like, that's like some other thing. Um, that's hard. I don't know. I'm not. Th- no one was bought in because no one had any like way in. Like no one was part of the decision and I didn't have enough in me to like force it. So we just abandoned it. So then when we were going, okay, but the solution we currently have does not function for where we're at. We need to find something new and it can't just be me going and playing with tech. We need some other, we we need some other contribution. And so we grabbed a couple of team members on purpose that either had some um, some knowledge or se- like a skill set that made sense or just capacity to be able to <laughs> contribute to it, capacity to do some research on tools. 
And I think that was the real start of getting other team members on board with things outside of just what's in their job description responsibility. I think it was that project. So I would say if you're looking for a place to start, what is one problem in your company that you have been wrestling with that you would really like to make some progress on? And are there some other team members who you could loop in and go, hey, we really want to solve this problem. I really want to accomplish this objective. Where do we start? What do you guys think? Just starting to ask some questions and seeing what that contribution looks like. That helped us be able to map that out, to distribute the responsibilities, to map out team members that would test it first, the team members that would be like the beta testers, and then they would become the champions of the tool to help the next people learn it. And so I would have never thought of so many of those things. That is the value of, of bringing in the team to come along with you instead of me running ahead and looking back and no one's following me yeah. as I am wont to do. Well, you, you have a tendency to have really good ideas and for you to think and process through them really quickly. And then to, when you're excited about that and it's a good idea and you've vetted it yourself, you jump right into galvanizing it, which is hugely important just after a few other steps. Um, and so like the galvanizing prematurely resulted in the team not really adopting that tool. But in the end, that's the exact tool we went with just two years later, because we had more voices in the room saying, hey, what if we did it like this? What if we had people beyond the leadership of the company, beyond the CEO and the operations manager to actually support the team in answering questions. Because when you do a huge shift like that, you're going to get a lot of questions. You're going to get a lot of thoughts, a lot of input, a lot, a lot of feedback. And so what you do with that feedback really matters to those people adopting it. And so if you can kind of spread that responsibility out a bit further, it makes it a lot more sustainable and it gives people the comfort in knowledge that they will have more than one person to go to and that they'll get questions answered, which I think goes a long way for change management. It's just having resources where people can find answers. And that oftentimes yes. is people. Yes. And that is how you get out of that pattern of being the middle with all the spokes coming out. Yes. You can't be the hub anymore. There have to be other people that you allow to be the smartest person in the room that aren't you. Ooh. And that's so hard because we love knowing the answer. But as mm -hmm. soon as you bring someone else in to contribute or bring someone else in as the expert that someone else could ask a question and then you immediately go actually them, well, actually it's this, you're going to, you're going to undermine that before you've even started. You, you've lost before you started playing. And so part of the start of this is going to be, how will I feel about there being more voices in the room that aren't me that might say something that I don't necessarily that I want to actually all over because <laughs> if I do that I will immediately like undermine that like that openness that desire for them to contribute I will I will erode the trust I'm trying to build I will make them feel stupid so I can feel smart. Like no mm. one's winning in any of this scenario. So yeah. there, 
all of this is always going to start with work on yourself, which is a real bummer. Very annoying. (laughs) And I think it also starts like there's the internal piece of it in terms of like just shifting the way that you think about things and, and imagining how it will feel to experience different experiences. I think that's so helpful. But on top of that, there's some actions that need to be taken. Um, a couple of the things that we did pretty early on in projects was we'll send out an anonymous survey or we'll open up an, an optional meeting to the team. Anyone who wants to speak into this project or this you know process or this thing that we're doing, if it affects you and you have the time, you might come and you might say something that might change the entire trajectory of our plan. So you might feel invested in doing that. Um, And I think on top of that, you just start by asking questions. I think in those meetings, one of the, if you already, if you're just starting this process and you know that that mentality shift is going to be hard, can you schedule an optional meeting, invite everyone on the team? And the only thing you're allowed to do in that meeting as the CEO or as the founder or the, you know, operations manager, whoever you are, the only thing you're allowed to do is ask a question. Can you do it? Ooh, that's so hard. (laughs) But it's like a fun challenge to be like, okay, if I want the input, I don't get to be the only voice. And if I have a hard time reining that in, what can I do? Just ask questions. See what happens. See what you get at the end of it if all you're allowed to do is ask questions. I think it's just like you kind of have to play around with it in your own individual culture because sometimes this kind of stuff doesn't work for your team or for the individuals that are on your team. Um, But it's really about trial and error. You will mess it up at some point. That's okay. We did. We have (laughs) so much. So many times. And on top of the mistakes and the pain that that gives us, it also gives us awesome data for moving forward. It's such good data for what we can do differently. It's it's really like, it's such a gift. It, it hurts in the moment so bad, but it's such a gift. It really is. And, and I think in that idea of only being allowed to ask questions in the meeting, it also can't be questions like, well, why is your idea not garbage? <laughs> explain to me why this is not a terrible idea the even even the questions they cannot sound like an interrogation it cannot Mm. sound like they're on trial it has to be done from a place of genuine curiosity so I have found even for myself working on saying things like tell me more or like what does that look like? You know, say, asking questions that are shorter and more neutral. Uh, say more words. It's not really a question. <laughs> it's just like a request. Um, go on. Uh, <laughs> because sometimes even in the way that I might phrase a question or the tone I might put on that question, it will sound like I'm leading it somewhere. So this has to be done in good faith. It has to be something where you are constantly challenging yourself to go, am I, am I engaging in curiosity? Am I actually aiming at the best idea winning? Am I encouraging this person to want to contribute? And I think that's the goal here. The goal is not to win at this particular idea. The goal is to win at getting a team that contributes for all of the ideas. 
So if you diminish that by trying to fight on whether your idea is better about this one singular thing, you will lose the game of building a collaborative team. And that is the infinite game that we want to play here. It's not about winning this one collaborative thing this one time. So valuing contributions in what you say, in what you do, while still expecting excellence, we still want the best idea to win. We want you to contribute and we're not just going to do it because you said, we're not going to not do it because you said, we're going to evaluate the idea and we're going to get to the best one. And when that trust is built, it's so clear that that's what we're doing, but that takes time. And so it is a lot of trial and error, a lot of owning it when you do it bad, a lot Mm -hmm. of just going, and sometimes even just, you know what, I did this badly. Could we do it over? Could, Mm. could you share that idea again and, and like, and say more about it? I I don't think I took it seriously enough. I'd like to reevaluate it and, and get a little more input from you. I think I dismissed it out of hand and that was not cool. Sometimes you just have to own when you do it bad. Um, Mm -hmm. And that also models owning when you do it bad and learning. Well, and builds trust that you can own mistakes too. So when they do, there's trust that it'll be met with grace. It's yes. it's really amazing how that is a multiplier. Like that does not diminish the more you use it. It only expands. It's it's really amazing. Um, and I'll add one more note to this and, and it's well-timed. Close the loop. Do not just let that input go out into the universe and never close the loop. And that person just wonders if you even got it, wonders if you care. It's an obvious no, if nothing happened about it, you know, like that's a, that's a silent no. And so one of the things that also builds trust that we do is close the loop with our team. I will thank team members for their input all the time. And I will always say what the next thing is. We probably won't do this right now, but I will put this on a on a card in in my task management repository for future projects. And we can reevaluate when we do iteration two of this project. Like I will tell you what we're going to do with your input. And if it's nothing, I'm going to tell you that. And if it's something, I'm going to tell you that. And if it's not right now, I'm going to tell you that. Because it's more important that you know that your input was heard and understood and valued than it is that your idea won. That's right. So I think the the key takeaway here is that when you bring in smart, talented, competent, kind, lovely people who are excited to contribute to make something great, the end result is great. It's magic. It really is. But that does not happen on accident. It happens with intention and it happens with action and it happens with doing it poorly and then doing it again. It happens on purpose. So if you want to build a collaborative team, you got to start. So (laughs) thanks for joining us. We hope you will keep tuning in as we share how we are building a firm worth building. It's going to be good.